0: Let's open the scriptures this morning to the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 2. Here we have the account of Rahab, and Rahab figures into the matriarchs, one of the mothers in the line of Jesus' ancestry. So... We're going to focus in on her story this morning, Joshua 2. So the context, I think most of us will be aware, the context is the Israelites have been brought uh, through the desert. They've been 40 years in the desert. They're now waiting on the banks of the Jordan, waiting to cross over into the promised land, and it's in this waiting period that Joshua sends out two spies. We pick it up at 2 verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house. For they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household Let's turn a couple of pages to chapter 6 and pick up the end of the story as far as Rahab is concerned. We'll read the verses 22 through 25. So in chapter 6, Jericho has been taken, the walls have fallen, and then we read verse 22, but to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house. And bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, perhaps keeping a, a finger at Joshua 2. We'll certainly be coming back to that. But the text, technically, is Matthew 1. Continuing where we left off last time, we're just picking some of the names out of the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 5, the first part, so we just remind ourselves that this is the family tree or the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and then verse 5, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. That'll be our focus this morning, the person of Rahab and her significance. Beloved Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, last week we saw the surprising inclusion of the names Judah and Tamar in the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. And if Tamar's name raised an eyebrow already, then the name of the next lady in the record should cause our jaws to hit the floor. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. There's only one Rahab in the entire Bible, and that is the Canaanite woman who ran a house of prostitution in Jericho. This Rahab of Jericho is an ancestor of Jesus. Tamar, by comparison, Tamar was forced, you recall, to become or to act like a prostitute for a righteous purpose, but Rahab was a prostitute. She was the real thing, a money-making harlot by choice, a Canaanite madam in the heart of the most godless people on earth. Is this real that she's in this list? How does a woman like that get a spot in the holy line and become a mother to the Messiah? Well, we hope to find out as I proclaim to you this word of the Lord, God's electing grace makes a Canaanite madam, the Messiah's mother. We'll see that she is first doubly cursed and then in the end doubly blessed. Now, to get a sense of how shocking it is to see rahab's name in the genealogy we need to place ourselves back in joshua's time so pretend with me for a moment that you are a foot soldier in joshua's army waiting there along the banks of the jordan river to get across eagerly waiting for those two spies whom you know joshua has sent out to survey the land and bring back a report Across the river is your future homeland. A land promised to you by the Lord, a land that's beautiful, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Can't wait to get there. But it's also a land filled with people Canaanite people. The Canaanites, that's a general name for all the different people groups or Nations with, who lived in that land between the Jordan and the Mediterranean. They lived there since the days of Abraham already. Nations like the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphaites, Amorites, Girgashites, Jebusites. All of those collectively are known as the Canaanites. Sometimes they're just called the Amorites because the Amorites were the biggest of the nations. But all these various nations were independent little kingdoms inside the land of Canaan they all had kings they all had their own governments and yet they all had one thing in common they were experts in godlessness Canaanites were infamous for their wickedness wickedness and, and famous for living an open rebellion against their creator against God think only of the the sexual perversion and like the homosexual perversion as well as the abuse of the poor that were legendary in Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities that were there in the days of Abraham, which, of course, you know, God destroyed by fire from heaven. That's the kind of wickedness that the Canaanites were were known for, not just in Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord had warned the Israelites repeatedly not to follow the evil deeds of these Canaanites. For instance, in Leviticus 18, the Lord mentions a whole long list of sins that the, His people have to avoid. He mentions they're not, they were not permitted to have any kind of incest, no sex with a relative of close standing. No sexual relations with son, uh, stepson or stepdaughter, not your neighbor's wife, not a man with a man, not a woman with a woman. The Lord spells it out, Leviticus 18. And then He says toward the end of that chapter, do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things, for by all these things the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. In other words, all these various sexual perversions were running rampant in Canaan. And now there you are, an Israelite, just a few kilometers away on the the opposite side of the Jordan. And over there are these Canaanites holed up in the city of Jericho. And you can begin then to understand the report of the spies because joshua 2 basically is a recounting of their report brought back to joshua so you have to kind of hear joshua 2 through joshua's ears we read there in verse 1 and the 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 men went and came into a house of a prostitute whose name was rahab and they lodged there. Now, just imagine for a moment, you're Joshua, okay? These two men come back, and the first thing they tell you at the beginning of their account is, we went into Jericho, and we stayed at a prostitute's house. We lodged there. What would you think if you were Joshua? You went where? You stayed In whose house? Do you not remember what Moses taught us how the Lord God is destroying these Canaanites precisely because of their sexual perversion? Where did you go? To a prostitute's house? That's what Rahab was. It says very clearly in Joshua 2. That was her her work, if you want to call it that. Not only is she a Canaanite, not only is she a citizen of Jericho inside, you know, hold up inside the city in defiance of the Lord, but she is a prostitute. Actually, it seems that she may have been more than that, for she owns her own house. She's very clearly in charge of this establishment. She answers the soldiers when they, when they call on her house. She hides the spies. She clearly has the freedom to make decisions, so Rahab is the boss of this place. The Hebrew word that's used to describe her as prostitute can sometimes have the connotation of innkeeper, and that seems to fit well with the description in the context of how she acts here in this chapter. She's not just a a single prostitute herself, but she manages an establishment an inn where where men come to visit. It would be no surprise at all if she had other prostitutes working for her. Now, it doesn't say it in so many words, but it seems likely that Rahab was running a brothel, and that would make her the madam of Jericho. Rahab is a Canaanite. That makes her cursed. Rahab is a prostitute running a house, a prostitution apparently. That makes her doubly cursed. Now, If you were an Israelite waiting for news from these two spies, eagerly awaiting any sign that God was blessing their journey, that, that God was going to open the way for them into the land, would you ever have thought that the Lord would assist them through the hand of Jericho's madam? If we had ourselves to choose a single Canaanite to, to rescue and save, somebody who would be an ally on the inside, who would we have picked? We might have thought of one of the leading citizens, maybe someone who was morally upstanding, maybe a hard-working family man, perhaps an intellectual or a philosopher. But would your thoughts, would my thoughts ever have gone to a woman who's running a house of prostitution? And yet that's exactly where god's thoughts went that's exactly where his electing love shines so brightly as the lord turns this doubly cursed person into a doubly blessed person for something has happened to rahab the prostitute that can only be explained by the invisible hand of almighty god we see it in her actions joshua's men they come into her home and she recognizes them as israelites obviously spies the king of jericho learns of their arrival sends some soldiers to her home but then rahab does something surprising verse 4 but the woman had taken the two men and had hidden them now her motive is not yet out in the open but very clearly by that act her loyalty is not with her king or the citizens of jericho She acts to protect and to save two Israelites from falling into the hand of their enemies, and those enemies are actually Rahab's own people. So she has very clearly shifted her loyalties. That's also the motivation behind why she lies. We can get overly focused on the fact that Rahab was deceitful, which we know, of course, from other parts of Scripture is to be avoided. But let's remember that she took here a massive risk in speaking this lie to the soldiers because if the king of Jericho ever found out about Rahab's deception, her life wouldn't be worth a hill of beans. Her action was not motivated by love for herself. She put herself at risk. Her action was motivated by love for her neighbor, the Israelites. She actually risks her life to protect her enemies. And isn't that exactly in full harmony with God's law? So like Tamar's actions we saw last time with Judah, that cannot be held up as a model for Christians to follow. So it is with Rahab's lie, yet both women clearly act with selfless love. Both women were looking to something beyond themselves to the Lord, the covenant God of Israel. They they understood something about Him. And that really becomes clear when Rahab answers the spies in verse nine. She says to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Listen to how she speaks. I know that the Lord, four capital letters, so that's Yahweh, right? Covenant God of Israel. I know that Israel's covenant God The god of abraham the god of isaac the god of jacob that's all implied i know that the lord has given this land to you my land the land of my my people for centuries there's no question in her mind there's not yet an israelite unit Inside the land on on this side of the Jordan, they're all on the other side. Jericho is locked down tight as a drum. And Jericho, by the way, has walls that were legendary for their thickness. They were over nine feet thick. Walls which had never been broken through by an army. People of Jericho are inside the walls. They're protected and safe. All the other Canaanite armies from the other nations in the land, they're on high alert to defend to the death against the Israelites. But still, Rahab says, plainly and confidently I know something I know that the Lord has given you this land it's yours what is that but faith in Yahweh the one true God and a rejection of all the so-called gods of Canaan You you compare this to the Israelites themselves 40 years earlier. You remember that earlier generation of the Israelites who were at the border of Canaan, and Moses said, We're gonna go up and take the land, and the people said, No, we can't go up and take the land because the there's the giants are too big for us, we couldn't possibly do it. Forty years earlier, the covenant people said, We don't believe the Lord has given us this land. Let's go back to Egypt. And here, 40 years later, the madam of Jericho says, I know the Lord has given you this land. I know it. Faith, pure, simple. How did she come to this faith? The Israelites hadn't sent any missionaries into Canaan. There were no traveling preachers to announce and explain the gospel of grace to these Amorites. Rahab tells us the answer. Verse 10. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. We sang about that. Who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in us because of you for the lord your god he is god in the heavens above and on the earth beneath our hearts melted when we heard you know sometimes people outside the church can see things about our god more clearly than those of us on the inside of the church the israelites on the whole were a grumbling complaining people for much of the time that They had been brought out of egypt i mean just think of the desert period right the whole 40 years in the desert they kept thinking that they had gotten the short end of the stick they were better off in egypt they thought they kept thinking their glass was half empty meanwhile the pagans over there in canaan they are stunned by what they've heard absolutely mesmerized by the power of israel's god And they understand that He is holy, that He is righteous, that He has all power to do whatever He wants in heaven and on earth, and they're quaking in their sandals while the Israelites are grumbling in the desert. How is it with us, brothers and sisters? Do we see our God as clearly as Rahab did? Or are we a little bit like the Israelites, taking it for granted, kind of ho-hum about what God is doing, often thinking we'd be better off somewhere else? Are we so used to worshiping the Lord that we think lightly of God's blessings and we brush off that work of salvation? Do we take time to tremble sometimes at the presence of the Lord, the, the awesome presence, the holy presence of the Lord. The same God of Joshua and Deuteronomy and all the other books is our God. Holy, supreme, powerful. Doesn't, does God's power overwhelm you sometimes? does his majesty just make you fall to your knees does the lord's love for you astonish you when you think of what he's done for you in jesus brothers and sisters let us take another look at our god who he is and all he's done And whatever challenges and adversity the Lord then places on our path, let us see and confess that our cup, it overflows. Our cup isn't half empty. You know what? Our cup isn't even half full. Our cup overflows because we have the Lord. What can stop us from entering into everlasting life when we have the Lord on our side? That's how Rahab came to see things with the eyes of faith. Her conversion is rather amazing and humbling, isn't it? I mean, we know our duties to love our neighbor and spread his word and confess the name of Christ to all around us, to our children, teaching them, to our neighbors. We're trying to be salt and light in the world. That's the command the Lord has given us. We have a conscience about those things, We often feel that we fall short in those things, we don't do them enough, or we don't do them well enough, and sometimes we can get to thinking if we don't do our part, then God's work will not get done. But brothers and sisters, don't go there in your thinking. Take a look at this Rahab in Jericho and understand that God's saving work can't be stopped despite our weaknesses and frailties and failures, whatever they might be. Certainly, we ought to be conscientious about our duties, but let us not fall into the trap of thinking that, that God's plans depend on our efforts. It's a privilege for us to be instruments in the Lord's hands to bring the gospel to all and sundry, but the Lord doesn't need us to gather in His elect. He did it all by Himself there in Jericho, and He'll get all of His elect either through us or another way. Without Israel even being aware, the reputation of the Lord had spread all across that area. His saving acts, the glory of the Lord, had gone ahead of the Israelites into Canaan. How did it get there? Text doesn't say, but must have gone from Bedouins to Ishmaelite traders To the people traveling back and forth, to the gatekeeper of Jericho, through the ranks of the soldiers of the city, up to the palace of the king, right down to the main street brothel, and into the heart of Rahab. All of us heard, she said, word got around, and our hearts trembled. But Rahab was chosen to be one of God's children. Those whom the Lord has set apart, they will be converted to true faith, and those He hasn't chosen, they will remain where they always want to remain in their self-imposed hatred of the one true God. We see that worked out in this account. That's what separates Rahab from her countrymen. I mean... They all knew the same facts, right? All the Canaanites had heard the same things, the same stories about the Red Sea and the desert and the destruction of Sihon and Og, and all were dismayed at the Lord's great power. All the people of Canaan had the fear of Yahweh in their hearts, but that didn't move any of the citizens of Jericho to faith except one. The king of Jericho and his people, they were quaking in their sandals. And yet they stayed inside their fortified walls. They didn't send out a delegation to Joshua asking for peace. They made no appeal to the Lord for mercy and kindness. They knew that the Lord was greater than all gods, all the so-called gods of Canaan. But hearing that and knowing that truth only hardened them in unbelief. Do you see, brothers and sisters, the mystery of unbelief too? You can't reason people into faith. Faith is a gift. Perhaps that's surprising just as much as seeing a Canaanite prostitute come to faith is the fact that the rest of the people refused to put their trust in Him. The measure of the Canaanite sin was indeed coming full. And by their rejection, they got everything they deserved. Well, Rahab, by grace, she received everything she didn't deserve. What none of us deserve. She received the gift of faith and with it salvation. She asks in verse 12, speaking to the two men, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign. She's asking for salvation. She asks to be spared the Lord's coming judgment over Canaan, both she and her father's household. Notice that she has an attention for her family, and God honors that intention. God deals covenantally with people, never just as individuals, but they and their family. Her act of hiding spies, that showed showed the kindness of her heart. She says, I have acted kindly toward you, And when you dig into the Hebrew, it's actually a much richer concept. You could translate, she showed steadfast love. The very same word we sang from Psalm 136 that describes the Lord's love. The Lord's steadfast covenant love. She demonstrated that kind of love to the Lord. And now she's asking the two servants of God, won't the Lord return that steadfast love to me? And their reply is without hesitation, verse 14, Our life for yours, even to death, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly in steadfast love and faithfully with you. She had put her trust in the Lord, and the Lord didn't let her down. The Lord never lets anybody down who puts their trust in Him. Way before Joshua had sent the spies to check out the land, the Lord had been busy sending His word deep into the land of Canaan, deep into the heart of Rahab the prostitute, and it comes back to him now with a tremendous confession of faith. And the Lord responds to her with a a beautiful promise of salvation through the mouth of the spies. They say, our life for yours. She was in a situation of death. As a resident of Jericho but she is blessed instead with life she's living among a cursed and condemned people but by a faith by true faith she's brought out of there into the land of the living our life for yours they meant just as you spared our lives because the Israelites would have been goners if the soldiers had caught them so we will spare your life and that of your family they could say that because the Lord God had already made plans to spare the lives of all of His people by giving up the life of His only begotten Son. The Lord had symbolized that and promised that on the day Israel came out of Egypt, an event that Rahab knew about, that every Israelite family had to paint their their doorways with the blood of the lamb that had. To be sacrificed and eaten that night they had to stay home inside the house and eat that sacrificed lamb and in every house where that took place in every sacrificed lamb and every doorway painted with blood the lord was saying this life the life of the lamb for yours i trade you i substitute this life for yours stay under the sign of the blood and you will be saved this life for yours And God made good on that promise when He sent Jesus, the great Lamb of God, to give up His life on the the cross of cursing, His life for yours, for mine. That's the deal. That's the gospel. Everyone who stays under the sign of His blood, the sign of the cross, will be saved. You have to run to Jesus You do that by believing in Jesus as the great Lamb of God. And if you stay in Jesus by faith, remember that expression from Paul, then you will be in the refuge. You will be safe in Christ. And is that not what Rahab was given in that scarlet cord? It becomes a symbol too, doesn't it? The spies made it a condition of her salvation that she'd tie that scarlet cord in the window and take her and her family into that house on the day that Jericho would be destroyed. If she would put faith in that promise, the promise given along with the scarlet cord, then all of her scarlet sins and the scarlet sins of her family, they would be washed away in the scarlet blood of the Lamb. You see the line from the Passover lamb to the scarlet cord to the crucified Jesus. God presents one way, constant way of salvation, by grace alone, in Christ alone. And you get to it through faith alone. That's the blessing that Rahab received and what a blessing it was new life among the people of God we read that in Joshua 6 but Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her Joshua saved alive and she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua had sent to spy out Jericho she was brought out of Jericho she was brought out of her Egypt like we have been gone is the brothel no more is the madam of the city of palms but now rahab is a new lady she's counted among the family of god she has a place in israel and her name is written in the book of life and her name is even written in the book of the family tree of the messiah that's what matthew 1 is telling us so clearly that is the additional double blessing Rahab receives. In the course of time, God did give her a husband, a prince in the line of Judah. So she entered into the tribe of Judah by way of her husband, and from their union eventually came the line of the kings, beginning with David and ending with the great son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of God's electing love, this least deserving Canaanite, becomes a doubly blessed mother of our Savior." Well, when you stand back from this, brothers and sisters, does it not show the great grace of our God? And does that not offer hope in in all the situations we can think of? Is God's grace not big enough to cover Also, your scarlet sins and my scarlet sins, whatever they might be. Is God's love not strong enough to melt the hardest heart? You know people in your life, people you care about, that at this moment have a hardness toward God in their heart. Is this God who made Rahab's heart soft and brought this prostitute into his People, is this God not able to make those hearts melt if He so wills? Take a look at this Rahab, a testimony of what God can do, and then take ten looks at Jesus. One look at Rahab, ten looks at Jesus and His cross, a testimony of how big God's grace is. Those who trust in this God will never be disappointed. Amen.